Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we are tackling celiac disease. Tackling it. Taking it out. Taking it out. Taking it on. Going to talk about where it came from, why all of a sudden in the past few years it seems to be everywhere. Mm-hmm. And what the deal is with the gluten-free lifestyle. Yeah, what does it have to do with Miley Cyrus? Yeah. So basically, we're going to tackle celiac disease and Miley Cyrus. Right. (laughs) To boil it down for you. But what, to kick things off, is celiac disease exactly? Well, Kristen, it happens to be a digestive condition triggered by eating gluten, which is a protein found in foods containing wheat, barley, or rye. So basically, people with this condition can't eat bread, pasta, cookies, pizza, or anything else that makes me happy in my life. Yeah, I mean, there are ways, which we'll get to, where you can eat those things, but it has to be made with specialty kinds of ingredients mm-hmm. that do not contain gluten. And the reason why gluten... Uh, triggers this problem in people with celiac is that um, there is an immune reaction in the small intestine that damages hair-like structures that coat the inside of our intestines called villi. And those villi help the body absorb nutrients. And if the villi get damaged, you just poop out the nutrients. Oh, dear. You just poop it out. What is... Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Uh, uh, it also causes a loss of calcium and bone density, so that is definitely something for women in particular to think about. Lactose intolerance, cancer, and neurological complications. So if things are upset in your tummy, if you have a tender tummy, you have a lot of other things to worry about. But you might not even have a tender tummy if you do, in fact, have celiac, because it can happen without symptoms. And as the Mayo Clinic points out, uh, there isn't one set of symptoms that happens to everybody, which is why it can be kind of hard to uh, diagnose among those symptoms so that you might get could include things like abdominal pain, diarrhea, since we've talked about the upset stomach, um, irritability or depression. There was a new study that we found um, uh, linking heightened depression in women with celiac disease. They haven't looked at it in men. It was just focused on women. But there does seem to be that mental health aspect of it. Muscle cramps, skin rash, mouth sores, gray poop. Gray poop. Gray poop. That's terrifying. But yeah, a lot of these, a lot of these symptoms are malnutrition related because like Kristen said, when your, your small intestine is damaged, when, when the lining of it's damaged, you're not getting those nutrients that you need. So, you know, you might think that you're getting enough food, you're putting enough food in your mouth, but you're not getting the nutrients out of it. And so you might wonder what causes this? Why have I been struck down with celiac disease? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. It does seem to be more common in women, according to the National Institutes of Health, also more common, at least used to be, in non-Hispanic white folk mm-hmm. of European ancestry. But that is also starting to change as well. And as it has started to branch out among other ethnicities and all around the world, not just in the in Europe and now in the U.S., the rate of celiac disease has gone up, according to 
a study that was published in July 2012 in the American Journal of Gastroenterology. Well, at the same time that the rates are going up, a lot of people do not even realize that they have it. And from this Mayo Clinic study uh, that was published in August, they said that 1.4 million of the estimated 1.8 million Americans with celiac disease are unaware they have it, which is crazy because that's a majority of the sufferers of celiac disease. And so the researchers said that the rate of the disease in the U.S. is 1 in 141, which is similar to the rate in European countries. So, again, there's that tie. Yeah, and um, the study also confirmed that it's four times more common today in the U.S. for someone to get a celiac uh, diagnosis than it was 50 years ago. And these researchers, um, the study that we're referencing is coming out of the Mayo Clinic. It was a team of gastroenterologists that were looking at this problem and trying to puzzle out why there's been this spike. And according to um, what they told CBS News about their study was that it might have to do with how wheat is grown. Essentially, back in the 1950s, uh, scientists started crossbreeding wheat to be hardier and um, easier to produce, but those changes in how we bred wheat may have altered the structure of gluten, making it harder for some of our bodies to process. And not to mention, we eat so much more processed food now than we used to. Our diets have, have gotten a lot worse. Yeah. And I mean, I wonder if that has to do with the spread of celiac disease across the world. The fact that they're noticing these increased rates in other ethnicities and countries and areas of the world that maybe didn't see it as often as uh, we are now. So maybe it's just more cheesy poofs or moving around the globe. All those cheesy poofs. It always goes back to the poofs. Um, Yeah. In the United States, just to get an idea of how quickly this has come on our public health radar, according to a New York Times magazine uh, from 2010, celiac disease wasn't considered a public health issue until 2003. And that was largely because of the efforts of a very small number of doctors mm-hmm. who were looking into why this disease hadn't translated from Europe over to the U.S. And they realized that there was a lot of underdiagnosis right. that was going on. Yeah, in the 1990s, doctors really didn't think that celiac disease was that big of a deal, that not many people had it. It was pretty contained. But Dr. Alessio Fasano of the University of Maryland found that out of 2,000 blood samples, one in 200. 50 tested positive for the disease. He followed it up with that 2003 study, massive study, and found that out of 13,000 subjects, one in 133 people had it, and among the relatives of those people, the rate was one in 22. So obviously, if your mom, your sister, whoever in your family has it, you have a much higher risk of developing it. Right. And also probably because, as we mentioned earlier, there aren't uh, hallmark symptoms of celiac disease saying, you know, X, Y and Z. That means that you have it. Um, the the diagnosis might be tricky. And the three main ways that doctors can diagnose celiac disease is through blood testing, genetic testing because of that genetic link that you just mentioned, Caroline, or biopsies of the small intestine 
Watson, which would probably test whether or not those villi, those hair-like structures, um, are intact or not. And the villi now, as a side note, are now making me envision the <laughs> inside of our small intestines as a shag carpet. Oh. And just pulling out, pulling out all the. No, I'm, I'm picturing it more as like those little, you know, those little sea creatures that like kind of sway. Sea anemone? They're pink and they kind of like wee. Oh, that's nicer. Like, that's nicer than a burnt orange shag carpet. <laughs> Gross. Or the floor of a hair salon. Um, yeah, speaking of, of these tests that Kristen was just mentioning, I'm, yeah, I'm totally glossing over that, by the way. Um, Quest Diagnostics, a testing company, told the New York Times for that article that requests for celiac blood tests have jumped 25% since 2009. So I feel like it's kind of feeding into itself. The mm-hmm. more you hear about celiac disease and the more you think, well, gosh, I'm bloated. Maybe I have it. My poop's gray. Oh. So I'm not trying to make light of <laughs> celiac disease. I just got gray poop on my brain. It's hard to get it off the brain. Um, but yeah, so now more people are, uh, are, are getting tested. And, and, you know, now that I'm doing all this research for celiac disease, of course, I think I have it. Oh no. I get tired. You got, I get bloated. You got the great poops? No. I, I don't have the great poops. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I can see how people would think, well, I have these very vague general symptoms. Maybe I have celiac disease. Maybe I'll cut gluten out of my diet. Well, yeah, and some, and some folks too will, uh, because of all of those gastrointestinal symptoms, think maybe it's, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, all Crohn's. sorts of things. Crohn's disease, yeah, all the stuff that could be going on when in fact it is the gluten. And speaking of the gluten, here's, here's the big problem. Well, one of the problems, uh, with celiac disease. Once you find out you have it, mm-hmm. it's not like you can pop a pill and your symptoms go away. Yeah. So far, the closest thing that medical researchers have found to a cure is gluten, removing gluten from your diet. Yeah. Eating, I mean, eating pretty cleanly, you know, fruits, vegetables, meats, mm-hmm. just don't get crazy with the pizza crust. Uh, a New York Times article talked about how expensive it can be to to have celiac disease and have this lifestyle where you have to eat special food because gluten-free products run nearly three times as expensive as regular products. But in places like Britain and Italy, a lot of gluten-free products are at least partially covered by insurance. If your doctors think that all this food is causing you digestive problems... If you have celiac disease, then you can get it kind of covered by your insurance. Right. And uh, also, the re- one of the reasons why gluten-free products make cost so much is because in order to avoid gluten, this is the list of stuff that you've got to cut out. In addition to just your run-of-the-mill wheat flour, okay? we got barley, bulgur, durum, farina. I don't even know what farina is. Dennis farina? <laughs> you got to avoid Dennis avoid farina. Avoid that mustache. <laughs> Graham flour, rye, rye. So yeah, no beer. Semolina and spelt, which is a form of wheat. And speaking of beer, Mm -hmm. a friend of mine uh, is on the gluten-free thing. I tried one of her gluten-free beers. Yeah, I don't know. It tasted, it didn't, it wasn't the same. Yeah. It wasn't the same. Never is. Does she actually have celiac disease or uh, gluten sensitivity? She does have a confirmed gluten sensitivity. I'm not sure if it's full-blown celiac, but she was having a number of gastrointestinal problems. And once she eliminated the gluten, the symptoms have gotten much better. Interesting. Yeah, but the beer has gotten worse. 
unfortunately. Hmm. Well, gluten sensitivity, uh, it's the label for people who suffer bloating and other symptoms like your friend, like your poor friend. And they seem to be helped by avoiding gluten, but they don't actually have celiac disease, like you said. Um, but there are a lot of people who are doing this whole self-diagnosis thing, who are cutting wheat and gluten out of their diets without having talked to a doctor. So that Mayo study... Uh, that we cited earlier, um, its co-author, gastroenterologist Joseph Murray, said, there are a lot of people on a gluten-free diet, and it's not clear what the medical need for that is. It is important if someone thinks they might have celiac disease that they be tested first before they go on the diet. And, you know, I m- mentioned sweet little Miley Cyrus earlier. There was this whole, like, firestorm on Twitter because she posted some. People thought she was anorexic, and she posted this thing about, no, I have a wheat allergy, um, I have celiac or a sensitivity or whatever, and so you should try it, too. She told everybody they should cut gluten out of their diets. It's like, wait, wait, you are not a physician, and I think you're 14 years old, so just reel it in there. It's a gluten-free party in the USA. It's my Miley Cyrus joke. They like that? I, I do. Yeah, and there was also tennis sensation Novak Djokovic, who attributed his massive winning streak that he had, what, like a year ago or something, to his gluten-free lifestyle because he found out a prior year that he had celiac, so he cut the gluten, and all of a sudden he was a powerhouse on the tennis court, which fueled kind of like the whole Miley Cyrus <laughs> gluten-free party in the USA thing. (laughs) Um, This idea that, uh, you know, yeah, gluten-free is going to make you look fabulous. Yeah, like clear up your skin, make you run faster, make you jump higher. It's like a pair of Nikes. Um, So there have been a lot of market research firms that have projected how much Americans will end up spending on gluten-free products every year. And while there is a core group of customers that, that need it for medical reasons... A lot of people are just part of this fad diet. Like, I want to lose weight. Let's just cut out all the gluten. And I get the whole, like, the whole diet about cutting carbs and everything, cutting out sugar, because, you know, that does help lower inflammation Mm -hmm. in your digestive system. It could be beneficial. But people really think this gluten-free diet is going to help them lose weight because maybe they feel bloated one day and they're like, oh, well, I felt better afterwards. But there's not actually a scientific basis for it, but it is definitely driving this humongous billion-dollar market for gluten-free products. Yeah, we there were a number of different um, sources that we saw estimating the worth of the gluten-free industry, and it was anywhere between 3 and $7 billion right now. It's a lot of dollars. And it's a lot of dollars, especially for something that really hasn't been at the forefront of, uh, you know, public health concerns for very long mm-hmm. at all. And the thing is, too, if you are considering, we're not, we're not saying don't, don't eat, you know, eat the gluten, <laughs> eat the wheat, everybody. <laughs> we're not saying that, but something to keep in mind if you are uh, looking to trim the gluten or even go gluten free, if a doctor has recommended it, just remember that if you are buying gluten free versions of Pizza, cookies, highly processed food, even though the gluten's gone, there, it still might not be the healthiest substitute for plain old pizza and normal cookies. Right. As Elizabeth Politi, the nutrition director at the Duke Diet and Fitness Center in Durham, North Carolina said, a gluten-free brownie is still a brownie. 
Still a brownie. Yeah, she says often gluten-free products are packed with saturated fat, cholesterol, and sugar just to improve taste. To that, I say have a strawberry instead of your gluten-free brownie. And Nancy Copperman, who's the director of uh, public health initiatives at a New York health system, said that gluten-free food isn't necessarily lighter in calories. And one thing, too, that's very important for uh, people going gluten-free or gluten-light is that they need to make sure they're getting enough iron, calcium, zinc, and B vitamins. Because that mm-hmm. is one thing that gluten does provide is a lot of those those nutrients. So a lot of times, if you're going gluten-free, you need to be taking some supplements as well. And I think to all of this, we say, you know, talk to your doc. Right. Or, or your nurse practitioner. Absolutely. And CBS, that CBS story did point out that people who actually, if you're, if you're thinking of this in terms of weight loss, if you want to cut out things from your diet to lose weight, um, people who actually do have celiac disease may actually gain weight on a gluten-free diet because they can finally absorb nutrients. Mm-hmm. When you cut out the stuff that's hurting you, it lets your body heal itself and it restores the intestine's ability to absorb those necessary nutrients from food. And so Copperman, who I just mentioned, does warn, like Kristen said, that if you're cutting stuff out from your diet, you really have to be careful that you're still getting the stuff you need. So you could end up hurting yourself and putting yourself at a health disadvantage just because you think that cutting out XYZ is going to make you thin. Mm -hmm. And as far as the whole question of whether or not, you know, should everybody go gluten free? Is it the, is it the best kind of lifestyle that we could have? I think that it's, it's yet another lesson in not so much having to, you know, cut out all carbs, cut out all gluten, cut out, you know, this and that, but more just a reiteration of being mindful of what you're putting into your body and how it makes you feel. Because I do notice if I get on, um, if I get really busy and I end up eating more processed food than I normally do, it does make me feel sluggish and bloated yeah. and, and not quite myself. Yeah, we all should aspire to eat healthy and clean and, and good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes you get home at night and you're like, I'm just going to pop open those cheesy poofs and I want call the, it a day. I want those poofs. But one thing, one thing Kristen touched on that I would like to talk a little bit more about is celiac disease and women in particular. According to the National Foundation for Celiac Awareness, the disease can actually affect the reproductive system, resulting in infertility, miscarriages, stillbirths, and adverse pregnancy outcomes. They said that the average age of diagnosis is about 45, but the time to receive that diagnosis, it's about 10 years. So that means that the entire span of the reproductive cycle may have been interrupted. If you've been having fertility problems this entire time, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you do. (laughs) But I'm just saying, like, it is kind of scary to think that your small intestine, what you think is just a little stomach problem, could actually be interfering with your ability to get pregnant. And they did point out that women in the general population are diagnosed with celiac disease two to three times more often than men. And studies indicate that celiac disease may occur in as many as four to eight percent of women with unexplained infertility. So there's there's there is a definite link there. Yeah. And one thing that we didn't mention as well is that childhood rates of celiac disease are also up. I think um, among the adult population, four times more common than it used to be 50 years ago among the uh, adolescent population, five times more common. So. Got to watch out what we're eating and what those little kiddos are eating, too. Yeah, and please go to your doctor if you think that you're sick. 
Don't don't just take our word for it. Yeah. That that if you're bloated, you have celiac disease. Never take our word for anything. Obviously, we don't want to get in trouble. That's all <laughs> this is about. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, celiac disease, gluten free diet. Let us know your thoughts about all of it. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your letter, especially for people who have gone gluten-free and felt some kind of effects. I'd be curious to know what what that experience has been like. And also, people with... Um, I, because glu- going gluten-free can be expensive and also difficult to cook with. Anyone who has good resources for gluten-free recipes... Mm-hmm. Let us know so we can share them with everybody, Mom Stuff, at discovery.com or head over to the Facebook so you can instantly share it with all of our listeners. In the meantime, we've got a couple of letters here to share with you. This email is from Kirsten about our jock straps episode because people cannot get enough of it. Uh, she said, I played field hockey as a goalkeeper from middle school through the Division One level in college, and almost every goalkeeper I knew or met in the nine years that I played wore a pelvic protector. It looks similar to a male jock strap with a wide waistband and straps that go around your legs, but has a hard triangular-shaped front piece that protects the lady parts. It was a standard-issued piece of equipment even when I began playing in middle school. Yes, it was uncomfortable at first, but after you took one hard shot directly to that region, you were forever thankful to be wearing it. Sometimes shots would come at you too quickly or at a strange angle, and you simply didn't have time to react quickly enough. I've been hit in that area several times, and especially when it happened in college, I was incredibly happy, she put that in all caps, that I was wearing the pelvic protector. I was always really embarrassed to wear it when I was younger, but eventually learned to become proud of it. After all, the alternative was getting a bruised pelvis and risking damage to the reproductive organs. As a young player, we were always warned that forgetting to or not wearing a pelvic protector was risking our ability to have kids in the future if we so chose. As a young player, we were always warned that forgetting to or not wearing a pelvic protector was risking our ability to have kids in the future. So thanks, Kirsten. Well, I have an email here from Amanda, and this is in reference to our show way back when in 2009 on women in the military and Amanda has been in the military um, since she was 18 enlisting in the Marine Corps and she's now an Army National Guard soldier she returned from Iraq in December 2011 and is awaiting deployment to Afghanistan uh, so she writes while in the Marine Corps my options and occupation were very limited and left little room for advancement the Marine Corps prides themselves on being the few, while female Marine Corps are the few among the few. Though the mantra of every Marine rifleman is true, when it comes to our social roles, we are still restricted to the confines of being the lesser Marine, since we are not allowed to perform or assist in combat arms. After completing my obligatory contract with that service, I transitioned to the Army National Guard. So, moving forward in her letter to when she goes to Iraq, she writes, Our Army National Guard company escorted commodity trucks in mind-resistant ambush-protected vehicles throughout the country and out of the country, successfully closing out the American military presence within those borders. During this operation, four of the ten females, myself included, were gunners on multiple missions handling machine guns, M4s, flares, and an assortment of other protective weapons, ensuring the safety of the convoy. 
The male soldiers of the CAV company became our family, many like brothers and a few like fathers. There were no instances of sexual harassment or demeaning overtures within the company. I can honestly say that of the 131 soldiers I served with in this company, not one would allow for any treatment subpar or not in good standing with blood ties. With that said, I am proud to serve my country and humbled by the incredible dedication and courage I have seen in my fellow battle buddies, male and female, in all uniform branches. As a sergeant, I have seen 17-year-old boys and girls turn into strong American men and women, and I'm grateful every day for the heart of those who choose to serve. So thanks to everyone who's written in. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your letters. Or you can find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Momstuff Podcast. And, of course, you can find out what we're doing during the week over at our website. It's HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?